Welcome to this week's Monday meeting. Today is August 7th, 2023. Monday meetings are a chance for motion designers from around the globe to connect, ask questions, share inspiration, and engage with industry-leading artists on a level playing field. My name is Mark Sternosia, and I'll be your host today. And today we'll be having an open discussion. So have your questions or anything else you want to post to the group ready. And if you have a question, use the raise your hand function in Zoom to be called on. And if you're unable to ask it live, uh, just type question into the chat and we'll ask them for you. As usual, this call will be recorded. If you have any concerns about something that was said on the call, let us know and we will edit it out of the recording. Uh, opening topics, Camp MoGraph coming up real fast. Uh, 2023, looking forward to it. Just big shout out to the sponsors. Camp MoGraph this year is presented by Otoy. Uh, and then we also have Maxon, Spilt, Grayscale Gorilla. Big ups to all them. Um, anyway, I mean, don't really have much on the docket today other than just having an open discussion. So let me open it up to the group for anyone who would like to pop in ask a question or even you know really this can be anything so feel free to raise your hand and if we're off to kind of a slow start i've got some prompts that we can uh jump from but um i want to invite anyone to pop in now and and uh feel free to ask a question or share or whatever i got a question yeah, Miles, good to see you. Happy Monday. How are you guys doing? Nice to meet you. First time here. Um, have you how how's everybody doing nowadays with business? As I assume everybody's freelancing remote. Yeah, I think a lot of people that join and listen to Monday meeting are freelance or in-house, you know. And I think what's great about it too is it gives us just a a varied kind of response to questions like yours, you know. I don't know if anyone wants to pop in, feel free. Like you don't necessarily have to raise your hand here, but um, feel free to jump in if you want to address what Miles was was asking. I mean, and I feel like not, we talked we talked about this, what, like two meetings ago, I think this topic came up and honestly sort of, that was like the Dash Bash recap. I mean, yeah, for whatever, like the limited perspective that I have and you know the people that I talk to, I think the general consensus does seem to be that it's been a weird year in terms of, if you're asking in terms of like cadence of work and how steadily people are being booked, it sounds like it's, it's on again, off again, which usually it's off again and then on again and people have some sort of consistency. But it sounds like this year has been a little bit more like on again, off again and just repeat over and over. So people getting booked out for like a month and then the next month it feels like it's dead. And then, you know, the month following another round of work comes in. So um, and for reference, I'm also in New York. So a lot of the artists that I'm talking to, like up here, that seems to be a very common um, theme. So, yeah, this was a question that I asked um, that I was talking about a couple of meetings ago. This was, uh, I've talked to a couple of people since then. Um, and they said that there is like, uh, <clears throat> or sorry, sorry, I'm just waking up, <laughs> moving slow. But, uh, on, on the meeting where I asked that question, Jen was, uh, Jen Horn was saying that there was, you know, an up, uptick in work, um, you know, following the pandemic. And so, and that's kind of when I started it too. And so it was kind of like, you know, everything's super steady from like, you know, February to November. And that's, that kind of seemed like a trend. And she said, no, it's kind of like going back to normal where it's, um, 
you know, you have kind of like an uptick in, in the spring and then you have a little bit of down, a little bit of downtime in the summer and then you have uptick in the fall and then you have like a lot of oil downtime in the winter. Um, and I talked to another, another guy, um, guy, Joe Clay from workbench. Um, and he said, it's, you know, usually there's, it's been a little weird this year because usually there's just that big downtick in the, in the winter. Um, and that seems to be shifting over the summer. So that's kind of like where things are getting a little wonky, um, in kind of the, the seasonalness of, um, of motion graphics in general, but also uh, a buddy of mine who works at a, a production studio up in San Francisco and, and kind of what I've seen for anybody who does supplemental graphics for uh, live action video. Uh, usually there's like a big spike in production and then it'll be like a month or two and then it'll be a big spike in motion graphics following that as they enter into their post-production phases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has a big spike in production right now. And so that's um, also following that trend of having a little bit of a downturn in the summer right now in this kind of like July, August. And then once they get into their post-production phases in um, September, after they go to all the events and they do all the things they're doing um, with anything that needs that post-production motion graphics, they'll kick back in next month is kind of what he was telling me. So that's, I've been... Since that meeting, kind of like talking around with people, I, I spoke with uh, Andrew after that too. Um, and that's kind of the, in terms of just like the <laughs> annual forecast that I've been trying to put together. That's the kind of what I've come up with. Nice. And Mo, I see you got your hand up. Hop on in. Uh, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, I was just going to say, for me, the place where I'm working, I'm doing an internship. And a lot of the projects that, were supposed to kick off got killed because clients are on vacation and it's the summertime. And then I think once the summer starts to turn towards back to school and holiday season, especially around holiday, it'll probably pick back up because a lot of people have, they've saved the budget and then they now have to spend the budget or they won't get that same amount of money for the following season. So then it's just like, oh shit, we have to you know, do stuff, at least historically, that, that's how my experience has been. So, um, yeah, so just wanted to share that. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. And Robert, hey, good to see you. Pop on in, man. Oh, yeah. On the same note, so my background is it's more events, um, not all music events, a lot of corporate stuff as well. So I have a lot of crossover with a lot of different uh, industries from pharmaceutical and all sorts of things, really. And we, we've noticed the same thing. It's It's it could be in the year, everyone was wanting lots of events and really big kickoff, lots of stuff coming in. That thing sort of being come down, people get more realistic, don't want to quite spend as much now, and it's just holding back a bit on, on all areas. Even though with that, though, you still get the sales teams. Because of that, other sales teams of other companies want to push and get more work in as well. So we're finding it's a bit of a up and down, very much like they don't want to do the event. Actually, I've got the budget, like we were saying, let's go for it. Um, and it's the same thing. It, it's it's not as busy as we'd hoped it would be, but it's still not quiet. And we can see things picking up, especially after the summer, when people are off on holiday, if you think a lot of the clients are, so we're not getting anywhere with that. Um, so it's kind of up and down. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. 
Uh, I, I just put something in the chat too. It's a report that Axios uh, did. Uh, it's kind of a blog post type thing, but just how the ad spend in the ad market is starting to turn around. Um, some of the larger brands uh, in like fashion and whatnot, they're they're starting to spend more now. Um, so it's interesting little article, hopefully some glimmers of hope there too. And just, you know, for those um, who might be slow or whatnot, you know, it's across the whole industry. It's across, I think it's global too. It's not just US. Um, there's a, a great kind of owners group um, in the RevThink uh, platform and there's quite a few studio owners and you know ECDs and stuff there that all are reporting pretty much the same thing it's been a weird year um things seem to be turning around a little bit now and again like what we addressed a few weeks back was just you know sales cycles and you know essentially all the work that kind of comes with that so uh I think there is quite a bit of hope right now that things are picking up. Um, but yeah, I think if this year's taught us anything, it's just, you know, the shit ebbs and flows, right? And like you need to be prepared for those ebbs. And um yeah, I, I think it's just one of those things where the last few years has been so flush with work that it's hard to kind of come back to reality and and think like this is kind of normal in a way you know it wasn't just double booked full all the time of things so um i think some hope definitely um and time will tell but now that we're really starting to hit the end of summer unfortunately <laughs> um and get into the later q3 into q4 i think we'll probably start seeing some more ad spend also, just um, like Will said, you know, a lot of stuff, again, if we're paying attention to sales cycles, like people are filming stuff now for Christmas, right? So like a lot of live action stuff's getting produced and all that. And then where we fall in that is a little bit later. So let's say, you know, September, October, we might really start picking up with a lot of that stuff. And even if it's not to be part of those specific campaigns, it might be other things surrounding it to, you know, help um, support the messaging and all that. As we all know, a lot of the work that is done for brands and social isn't the most glamorous type work, but it's needed, you know? So um, yeah, here's to hoping, but I think it seems like the temperature is starting to warm up. Like people are, are getting some more work. Um, I have been seeing a lot more, you know, I've been, uh, you know, I now have a job here, you know, um, post on LinkedIn versus I need a job. So that's been encouraging. That's true. Yes. I've seen a lot of people that have, you know, got laid off or whatnot, picking up new gigs. I've also seen a, quite a few studios posting, on um, some new roles. So I don't know if that means or if that points anything in the direction of like, maybe we're going to start building up our internal team more than like relying on freelancers and contractors. But I mean, I've even see, seen, I think like tendrils got a few spots open now. And, you know, so it looks like things are starting to turn around a little bit within that. Um, and it's great to see 
some of the artists that I know uh, that have been kind of struggling to find full-time gigs or whatnot, finally landing those and, and having those opportunities. So um, we shall see. Andrew, I see your hands up. Come on up. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say one thing I think that is useful if you are um, on the hunt for jobs, it's like definitely worth the 25, 30 minutes it takes to set up some save searches in LinkedIn and get like your like weekly job report, or you can do it daily. Hmm. I think I, I think I opted to do it weekly because daily, I just felt like it was getting a little like my, in, my <laughs> inbox was getting pretty cluttered, but um, you can set it for like the type of role, the type, you know, the location, if it's hybrid, if it's remote, if that's important to you, the seniority tier, like all that stuff. I have premium and I don't think any of this, of that part is actually tied to like a premium account. I think you can do that even with a free account. Um, and you'll get like a weekly job alert. And then I also think if you can find, um, like there's definitely some discord and Slack communities, uh, that are motion design specific that all have jobs channels. And I find that to be also not that I'm applying to everything I'm seeing, but I'm seeing more stuff that way just because it's sort yeah. of like crowdsourced. So two little, yep. two little things that might be helpful. Well, and more and more job postings are coming through a lot of those slacks and discords. Now I, you know, I always keep my eyes on that stuff. Um, I'm seeing more jobs pop up than say like I am available's pop up. So it seems like things are picking up, but go ahead, Miles. I just uh, wanted to riff off that because um, I found out about uh, Laura Porat's uh, Motion Collab site, and she has a Discord on that thing. And I just started perusing the Discord of the job um, uh, opportunities, and there were like a ton of studios that popped up that were like looking for work. And some of those opportunities may have like moved on, but just like a, a reference, so like, oh yeah, contact that studio or contact that guy just, you know, planting the seed, right? Yeah. Um, another thing I want to bring up just really quickly is, have you guys ever thought about like passive income streams as a result of what's going on with the economy so that maybe in the future we're not in this situation? Like I have a friend, he's um, sold like uh, UI assets and, um, you know, stuff on, like digital assets and stuff like that. Have you guys ever looked into that or are you still like focusing on just like straight freelance? Yeah, yeah, I exactly. think there's, yeah, Jen, go ahead. I was going to say, I think there's a few people in this group that do that. Okay. Yeah, if you, if you can teach a class on Skillshare or Udemy or any of those type of sites, it's not a lot and you have to put up the time in to market yourself. Um, but if you're not working, then yeah, you have all the time to do that. Uh, otherwise, um, I used to work in uh, stock footage and the stock site animations are horrible. <laughs> They're just cheesy and stupid and like, like we could do better. <laughs> so yeah. I, I definitely say um, look into that, but maybe not um, going the route of the big studios because they do take a big chunk of your profit. Uh, so finding other platforms um, that you could uh, sell your stuff. Again, you also have to market yourself. At least with the big platforms, they, they, it's weird because like they'll market you, but at the same time, like you are in a sea of a bunch of yeah. other people doing That's it. Right. So it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a hit or miss thing. Um, yeah. So I would, I would definitely start thinking about like, well, what kind of stuff do people need? Cause it's, you know, how many times have I seen like a Batman pow or bam, you know, like I, I know all that, you know, I can find a million of those, but like, what is something that maybe the new, um, 
animators that are coming up, maybe they need stuff oh. to build their, uh, you know, um, their portfolio. So I've been looking into maybe doing animated backgrounds, animated oh. sets that people could just pull in for really cheap and also doing um, fully rigged out characters that uh, the oh. newbies can use. So, yeah, I mean, and then putting that price real low to make it super affordable, you're going to get a lot of people, you know, jumping in on those. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good oh. idea. And I've seen just through this time too, like a lot of people have really ramped up their Patreons, uh, their gum roads. Like I, what I've noticed is uh, a lot of artists that I know of or have worked with in the past that have like incredible skills and they have a bunch of like little, you know, tools that they've, you know, written for themselves, whether it be scripts or like HDAs or anything like that for Houdini starting to kind of publish that because they're like, well, you know, I've used this and it normalizes, you yeah. know, whatever. Uh, and so I I'm starting to see a little bit more of that, but yeah, I, I think this, this industry in our community here, a lot of people try to have that kind of, um, um, passive income, but like Jen said, it is, a it is tough too, cause you're just yeah. in this massive sea of things. Um, and you kind of have to sell it right. And yeah. it, there's a fine line of being spammy and all that. But I think if you have good tools and whatnot, it's definitely worth putting out there. Um, and even if it's for like name your own price or, you know, a couple bucks or whatever it may right. be, but, but don't, it keeps don't you in the like conversation I would definitely not do like one thing and put it up there, do like a bundle or a lot of things. That's going to get a lot more traction. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you do generate anything and you, you want to like tell this group about it, feel free to um, always hop on to do that for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Sam, I see your hands up. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to mention some of the same things that you did around Gumroad and Patreon. Uh, I've actually been kind of jumping around, finding a lot more people that I wanted to, you know, subscribe to their Patreon. I, you know, learned stuff from them when I was starting and I was like, oh, well, like, let me support them for, for a little bit. They're doing really good content. Um, so I think that's a great way for us to be able to get ourselves out there is kind of doing, uh, you know, on, on Patreon, especially I've seen a lot of people doing kind of an educational component on YouTube and then releasing the like starter files and assets that they've created oh. for those tutorials on Patreon. And I think that's been a really successful strategy for a lot of people. Um, the other thing that has happened to me, uh, not quite in MoGraph, more in industrial design, but maybe there's a way to translate this is when I've taken on a client for industrial design that's more in a startup phase is deferring some of my payment into ownership uh, and then being able to like kind of take a bet on myself and take a bet on the project. And then knowing that I have something that's out there in the marketplace that's building that if it sells one day that I get a nice chunk of change back. Uh, and that's actually happened a couple of times and is happening again right now with the jewelry company that I'm getting involved with. And maybe there's a way to carry that over in, into um, into motion graphics if you sign on with a smaller brand to be kind of their, you know, exclusive designer. 
Yep. Yep. That's an, another great way of doing that. Augustine, I see you, your hands up. Go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to say that regarding like the Patreon gum road, all that sort of stuff, I have a little bit of like Patreon fatigue uh, in the sense that like, because like you said, there's a sea of people doing it at the same time. And my advice would be like, a lot of people are outputting the same things. Uh, so there's a lot of like repetition and sometimes it's like really hard to differentiate where you can find like real value. You know, you could be looking or willing to learn something that's very specific or some like parts, you know, like, I don't know, cloth, speaking about 3D, you know, like particles or I don't know, the new dynamic systems, whatever. Um, and in that sense, I think, but this is just my, how I see it is that more and more I'm feeling more interest by people outputting patrons that like really either go deep on a topic and just like focus on that instead of like trying to be generic because like Redshift's courses on Patreon, there's like, I don't know, thousands. Same right. goes for Cinema 4D or After Effects. And so try to find like a niche or something, you know, or sh or share something that really, I would, I wouldn't say like blows people's minds, but uh, that, you know, that people go like, okay, this is like the little thing that I was missing, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's it's and sometimes it's not it doesn't have to be like super complicated. It's just like those tips and tricks that really elevate your work. I'm getting more interested in those kind of stuff mm -hmm. than you know like this mega bundle of learn Sigma 4D or whatever. Yeah. Um. And, and you know I think those are like way more also like useful for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, having those like little secret like industry secrets that make mm -hmm. your work shine. Those are way more valuable, and if you if you manage to output those to the market, you will certainly have uh, people interested in that. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, I know we kind of got on like the topic of the Patreons and Gumroads and stuff, but you know, I would say this: there's a lot of great resources out there. And recently, I've been diving back into Octane and using Octane on some projects, and um, um, geez, Silverwing, uh, 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 what's his name? Why am I blanking? Oh boy. Sorry. Uh, anyway, he's been putting out insanely good content. Um, and that is his, oh yeah. Raphael Rao. Sorry. He has like the best, uh, uh, octane like youtube channel with so many great like little tips and tricks and stuff things that like optimizing scenes and rendering refractions and kind of nerdy stuff but it's super good and then same with uh i think it's scott benson has like a behance where he's got like a whole slew of like write-ups on that i should say that go pretty deep into materials or whatnot with octane and those are free resources and i feel like those have been like really valuable to me over the last few weeks um but i'll encourage you all as well like if you have um certain patreons or gum road gum roads that 
you really enjoy and helps kind of weed out of all the craziness that's out there, drop them in the chat and I'll add them to the show notes. Um, but yeah, so, some good stuff out there for sure. Sam, come on in. Yeah, one other kind of spinoff on what Jen was saying is uh, marketing assets to web designers. Um, so like creating Lottie animations for like preloaders or scrolls, that I think is something that's going to only become more and more common is more interactivity on the web um, and more motion graphics on the web, especially as technology moves towards this like Apple Vision thing, you know, and we, we get beyond the, the lim current limitations of the screen. I think mm -hmm. more interactivity and more animation will become a natural part of the web uh, mm -hmm. where, you know, in its current dynamic, it kind of has some very hard limitations on how much of that you can get away with. Uh, so that that could be another really interesting thing is like, let's make, uh, you know, 50 preloaders um, and put them out to, to, you know, web designers on places like Envato or stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea, too, because that's obviously an industry that's always ne needing some motion. And if you can create somewhat of your own little library, right, that might be super beneficial to to those designers. Will, I see your hand up. Yeah, kind of building off that, um, I've seen some uh, videos of people who are doing like 3D for web designers as well. So whether that's through Spline which is a like web-based 3D application or building out things in Blender. And then I don't know the coding side, so that might be something that people have to learn. But it's I've seen some freelancers who are doing 3D and 3D animation specifically for web designers. And so that might be another um, avenue to take as well. Yeah, we got a bunch of links starting to filter into the chat. So I'll be sure to add those to the the show notes and miles i see your hand up i'm not sure if you still had something going on or i, I can lower your hand if uh you can lower my hand <laughs> okay yeah no worries but yeah you know thanks for those links cons i see your hands up pop on in man yeah i was wondering actually on uh just a side note you were saying that you switched you've been trying to switch to octane uh or you just been picking it up a little bit lately has there mm -hmm. is there any rhyme or reason for that or I've been noticing like Redshift kind of slowing down on my end, wondering if uh, anybody else has had that same issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love Redshift. It's great. But I have been, I would say, not as impressed with the implementation of it recently into Cinema and also Houdini. Man, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but you would think that Redshift and their like family app of cinema would be like the best integration of it. And it's really not, unfortunately. I actually think the Houdini implementation is better than the cinema one. But, you know, just paying attention to stuff and the development, the interactions I'm having with on the different various slacks and discords and whatnot with the otoy team like they're just fucking on it and 
I can't say the same about Redshift, even though, I mean, it's still a great product, but I've just found myself, you know, kind of drifting back to Octane for certain things, right? But they've really figured out some more stuff with like passes and AOVs and all that. And it, it seems to be just a little bit easier to use than it used to be, even though they still have all their own nomenclature for things and all that. I don't really understand why still but yeah i don't know i mean that's kind of my hot take plus i i really enjoy the images that octane produces um given there's certain projects it's better for than others or whatnot but i don't know i just i feel like the speeds there i mean currently in my redshift projects if I'm doing something, the IPR is very like the render view is very like slow to respond. And a lot of times I'm refreshing it to to kick it back in. And I don't know. I mean, I've been on Redshift for three or four years. And so now getting back into Octane is kind of like relearning a bunch of stuff. But I'm like, holy cow, this is way snappier and just I don't know. It, it seems like it's kind of caught up to some workflow things. I would imagine in like a very large project and production pipeline, you still probably would see the benefits of Redshift and all the different passes and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. I would love to also open it up to the group. I see Sam and Augustine both have their hands up and then Thomas, you as well. So pop on in and let, let's talk about it. Go ahead, Sam. Uh, yes, I've uh, I've been trying to force myself over and over again to get into Redshift, and like I, uh, you know, got the basics of it. But I've been using Octane since almost the beginning. I actually was following Otoy before they were even making Octane. They originally were going to be trying to fight in the console wars back in the day. That was their original like business plan was to go up against PlayStation and Xbox. And they realized that they could have a superior product, but there was no way they could compete on marketing. And so that's where they kind of pivoted in, into creating Octane. And uh, I know even though they've been talking about Brigade for 10 years, the things that I've seen them doing recently, and if you try their betas, um, things like photon tracing, and just the level of realism that you can get out of caustics is like nothing I think any of us have ever seen in any render engine. Um, you know, being able to pass light through objects and get something realistic on the other side that doesn't take, you know, days to clean up um, mm -hmm. is just kind of amazing. Uh, you know, the, I really love using their post-processing tools. Uh, and if you've ever heard Jules speak, the, the founder of Otoy, he is on some next level stuff. Uh, yes. But his <laughs> mind and his vision of the future for rendering and for holograms, uh, it's like he's speaking straight out of Star Trek. Uh, and so I've always felt like that ultimately will be the technology that kind of uh, becomes the the final frontier, if you will. Uh, and I think now they're starting 
I think all the render engines are starting to be a little more cooperative and collaborative in the next phase of uh, kind of shader description technology. Um, even working with uh, people in Google on the web GPU project. So I think that there's going to be some refreshing of all of the language that all these different renderers created around their kind of proprietary thing. I think we've already seen it a little bit in the standard shader. Um, and I think that's only coming, becoming more. Uh, so I, I think over time that, that side of it will clear up more and more and yeah just i uh, to reinstate what mark said i just love the way an octane render feels it just has this this warmth to it um, that is really hard to get out of other renderers nice thanks yeah augustine go ahead yeah i was gonna say like my impression is like you have I would describe Redshift prior being purchased by Maxon. And then after the purchase from Maxon, I remember like Redshift uh, before it was purchased, they were super like reactive. They were outputting mm -hmm. new versions like super often. Uh, you could get a grip on the devs on the forums. Uh, they even like on productions I worked, like solve some stuff on the go. Like it was pretty much what the Octane community has been like when I say communities like devs have been doing like from the get-go and um and now like I don't know is just to give a comparison like when you see the integration that just for example cycles has in blender you know where everything seems feels like seamless or even Arnold uh not the GPU version but like the CPU version like in Maya you know where stuff like just connect and work uh we've kind of like lost that I think and, mm -hmm. and I was also going to say that like Redshift on the Mac, on the new like M1 or M2 Ultra compared to PC, I have like both to compare. And like, for example, the IPR on the Mac is way more responsive than on the PC, even if the GPU is faster on the PC. Mm -hmm. I think it's just like a memory transfer thing that happens somewhere. Uh, which the Mac has like direct access from the GPU and the CPU and the die and whatever. Uh, so I end I end up like using more like to to design and 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 build a shot. I'm doing it on the Mac instead of the PC, and then I send I'm sending that to render to to mm -hmm. like a bunch of computers because it feels snappier, which which already kind of like is weird. Um, and I'm not like proficient in Octane, but I've been working with people that are that are, and like certainly every like all of them are telling me exactly the same song, is that that it has catched up, and yeah, they have way better support than what we have now, after it was purchased by Maxa. Uh, updates, beta versions, whatever you know, they have access to stuffs being solved at a go which is now not existent for Redshift mm -hmm. users. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing because like, you know, first and foremost, all these companies are working hard to do what they can for us artists and whatnot. I think what's happened with the Redshift thing after Maxon is that 
it just got folded into a larger corporation. There's more red tape. There's more voices. There's more people to check the boxes and, you know, more opinions on things. And so I think, you know, just a byproduct of that is just, you know, slower development or, you know, really need to, you know, cross our T's, dot our I's type thing, which would make sense. But I also feel like there's been a lot of things that have shipped that have kind of been half-baked. Um, but, you know, I, I will say this too, because like at Camp MoGraph, we have representatives from uh, from Maxon. We have representatives from Otoy. And everyone's there always listening, trying to like run through products or troubles or anything that you have as an artist, what can they do? So they're, they're definitely out there and listening, but I feel like at this point, uh, Octane just still has that rapid development and geez, it, it's almost like that, uh, independent render, right. Where like they can just keep doing whatever they want, but as other things get folded in, like Arnold with Autodesk and yada, like, it just there's so many more levels of of uh of, um i don't know like people you have to go through right um to make things happen whereas you know a lot of the the devs and stuff are active for octane are active within the different slack communities and discords and you know something breaks that dude Akatar, I don't even know how to say his name, but he has a fix for it like three hours later. You know, it's it's pretty incredible. So big ups to all the devs out there making that happen. But Cons, come on in. And and I don't know if Thomas is still here, but I saw your hand up too. So yeah, uh, I, I'm usually like render agnostic in terms of like whatever works and cycles is an awesome, super underrated engine, in my opinion. But I've been like on Octane for like almost a decade and then uh redshift probably for the last couple of years and like it you know it's it's a little bit of a learning curve but it's totally fine but then in the recent past it's just been like like the sit and wait game like mm. using like gsg textures or anything I'll like drop in like four high-res textures and then it's like all of a sudden the viewport's like crap and i was just wondering if other people had the similar experience and then jumping back over to octane it's like Oh wow, this is what it should be like. Yeah. So, I don't know. The the it's one thing weird. I have noticed with um specifically like GSG stuff within cinema specifically, or I guess however it gets built, but um is that the the displacement textures are often like four to eight K or whatnot. And if you don't necessarily need it and you just disconnect that, like if if you don't need it in your shot, it's like so much faster. And I forget, I, it might have even been Thomas that helped me figure that out. Like, my IPR was going so slow. I'm like, what is going on? And he was like, check the displacement or whatnot and, like, just knock it down a level. And it, like, sped up my renders like crazy, which, again, is interesting that it, it's hanging on that, right? Um, anyway, Thomas, I don't know if you wanted to hop in or if your if your question or whatnot was still relevant but yeah i mean myself's pretty redundant at this point i think everyone's beat beat the dead horse but uh i mean i was like an octane user for like almost a decade before i switched to redshift you know when maxon bought it and it's literally just been watching a downhill thing of like things just 
slowly getting worse. I mean, and there's been like improvements too. Like I like the new nodes, but mm -hmm. my personal choice whenever I get the chance is it's going to be Octane right now. Um, there's just been so many weird decisions that are like subjectively, like I've really tried to have an open mind with like the UI changes and stuff, but I think mm -hmm. some of it's just like subjectively not good. You know, it's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. But I really enjoyed Redshift, you know, like when it first started, I was like, oh, I can totally just like hop ship from Octane to this and like it's all on Maxon now. It's going to be great. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like a, a new phase of the render wars in a way, like, you know, years ago there, there was the render wars of like, who's going to come to the development faster and this, that, and the other. Now it just seems like who can be stable enough for me to execute this project. And I'm not going to like bang my head against the wall a hundred thousand times, but um, Sam, go ahead. Yeah. Just one note on what Khan said that made me think, cause I I've been um, for anyone who's on the grayscale to gorilla discord uh, Revo in there who helps a ton of people. Uh, him and I have actually been talking about, uh, the issue a lot of people have been having with Redshift uh, and GSG library assets. Um, and there is actually a solution to it. I don't know all of the technicals behind it, but if you submit a support ticket and then reach out to Revo, he'll be able to help you with, with any issue you're having around that. Yeah, well, and so here's another weird thing that I've, found and maybe this is just the cinema integration and sorry to get a little too like nerdy on this for anyone who's not in the 3d realm but um there seems like all these workarounds like oh well you have to like disable your material preview and then double click this thing and then that will actually refresh the ipr and then this it's like okay well why doesn't it just refresh <laughs> like it's supposed to i i don't know i i feel like there's been a lot of these like kind of patch workflows just to get things working and uh i think that's been for a few years but i think more and more things are now coming up with it um but yeah it, it's it's quite interesting to see and i don't fault anyone or any department or whatnot i know it's hard to develop this stuff and especially if you have your you know, your DCC is developing at the same time that that then breaks this and this. I don't know. It, it's got to be like a lose-lose situation for all devs in software and not even in 3D stuff. I mean, we all know how Windows will update automatically and then all of a sudden none of your drivers work and it's like, what is going on? You know, so I do not uh, envy any sort of dev <laughs> right, these days. But uh, Augustine, Hop on in, man. Oh, you're still muted. Sorry. There I was go. going to say, like, for me, the part that becomes, like, now more and more difficult to justify regarding, like, the Maxon situation is that uh, we are all paying for those licenses, you know? Um, and when you pay for software, <clears throat> you pay for, of course, the tool, but the tool needs to work. Mm -hmm. And like you said, everything has become a lot of workarounds. And some of those can be, let's say, acceptable. Some others just can't, you know? And mm -hmm. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like compare here, uh, because that's not the point. And I'm like platform agnostic, but like you can pay like an indie license 
of Houdini and like the level of polished you have with that software is like on another level. And fuck it, like even like Blender, you know? I mean, forget the thing that it's free. It's not that the thing. I, I'm just going to say like, it's a community funded software. So you can get it at no cost. And in like, for forget the workflow, forget what you like and what you don't like. But like the level of polish of some of the stuff you have in Blender or, or integration you have is better. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at some point, like for, for us professionals paying hard money for this, at some point, it's like, how can you, how, how, how much can you tolerate of like the workarounds and the licensing problems and the things that put, that put you in a bad spot when you need to get shit done, you know? Um, so I understand, you know, what like uh, Ryan said about the core or like rewrite and everything, but we're not supposed to be suffering. That, that's not our problem. You know, it's like when you do, you're doing job for a client and you have personal problems. You don't go to your client and say like, you know, sorry, I had to drop my kid at the thing, but it was sick because your client is going to say like, I don't give a shit. You know, like, I'm just paying you for this. This is the deadline. You have to deliver. And it's the same for them. And dude, like, it's not like they're like a little family run company anymore. Mm -hmm. Like they have money. So like even Adobe is fixing, is fixing After Effects, you know, like after years, like they're, they're finally giving us what we've been asking for years and they've mm -hmm. been doing it steadily at each release. Each release is meaningful, even if it's like bug correction and stuff. Every, like every release has been like being like, life enhancements for us and so for me it's getting like hard to grasp in the management at maxon even if like you said like the community part of maxon is like trying to help and everything is how blind can you be can you be of not not solving like the real core issues that we're having like which is mm -hmm. not working anymore it's slow licensing shitstorm uh fix those stuff first and hmm. then go do whatever crazy new whatever thing you want to do. Yeah. 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 And I mean, uh, just looking at the chat here, too, there's a lot of um, chatter going on about Blender. And that's 100% true. You know, like Blender is our the free tool that a lot of people are getting introduced to 3D. I mean, even just animation, right, through Blender because it's free and, you know, I'm actually, I know Maxon does have like an educational license, but I think there's a few things you have to submit to, to get that. Um, but I also, I, I think this might be more of a hot take on just the general industry and, and development of software in general, but it seems like with the development of GPUs and just, you know, stronger, faster GPUs, CPUs and all this stuff, a lot of companies are trying to kind of like shoehorn all these new features in. And it's like, well, look at this new feature list. And it's like, great. 95% of those features, none of us are going to use. But how long were, were users asking for like random walk subsurface scattering? And that took years. I don't know. Maybe it did take years to actually develop that. But rather than like releasing features that, check the buzzword stuff 
Like, oh, now you can do this on GPU and this on that. It's like, okay, that doesn't matter. I just want the stuff that works and that is going to kind of be universal in workflows, not necessarily like, oh, cool. Now you can add like red giant looks in post effects. Like, good Lord, I'm sorry. Please don't ever do that. <laughs> this is just my my hot take there. How, how, um, like it's full GPU, but you cannot open the software because the licensing kick, kicks you out. Like, awesome. I can't work. <laughs> so, Well, and here's the thing, like this stuff's, as we all know, it's being developed so fast, so fast. And, and I, Ryan said in the in the chat here too, like just the conversation between like the Blender Foundation and the devs and the community, like there's an amazing two-way conversation happening there. And you can tell that that's super beneficial because look at how fast, I mean, geez, even in the last year, seems like blenders like become almost a whole new program in a way like so much more i i see a lot more postings that say like have blender in it listed as one of the you know softwares like if you know it we'll hire you i've even seen some stuff coming out of artists that like already been chewed blender i'm like whoa okay cool like so it, it's really interesting where like i i want to say your uh your like autodesk your maya uh and your cinemas and stuff they've had such a like grip on the industry for so long that maybe they've gotten somewhat lackadaisical and they're just kind of like mm, well our model's working but like not may maybe not like understanding how fast all these other tools are like catching up behind them i don't know like just a thought there but um yeah, I mean, just looking through the chat here too, the the Blender and real-time engines, it's really coming along quick. Same with like plasticity now too for modeling. Um yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of new tools coming out and if you're a younger kid getting exposed to these, like you might not even jump into cinema ever because like why would you because you can do your job now or start a career essentially for free and maybe you spend a couple like 200 bucks on a plasticity license and a couple like add-ons for blender but boom there you go you know um no longer are you essentially paying for this whole suite of stuff that maybe you're not necessarily using and i i don't know i'm not a salesperson at all but I kind of had like quabbles with this, even when when um, Adobe went to the subscription thing that you couldn't just do like a video subscription of like After Effects and Premiere. Or you, they did it for photographers like Lightroom and Photoshop or whatever. But I kind of feel like doing this whole like massive bundle that you have to pay for every year and maybe you use one thing from it like maybe from a business standpoint that makes it a lot easier for the books or whatnot but it'd be i don't know it'd be a lot cooler if you could do a little bit more a la carte and i guess maybe you can but it's not really beneficial to you as an artist price wise with that but i just know a lot of people who are paying for these suites over a whole year you know i think it's 
1200 bucks or something like that. And then, yeah, your tools aren't fully fleshed or fleshed out to the kind of production level that you hoped and whatnot. I can see it just not leaving the greatest taste in people's mouths, but who am I to say I'm just one, one person, one artist. I still use all these tools, <laughs> but um, I'm just looking through. Through the chat. Um, has anyone been diving more into blender recently? Like I have it on my computer just to have it to, you know, open files and do things. Uh, Andrew, go ahead. Um, I love this conversation so much and I always have to stop myself from <clears throat> really jumping on it. So I used, I picked up blender like 12, 13 years ago. Like that's what I learned 3d and specifically mm. to the same conversation here, you know, is free. Didn't, you know, it's free. Literally I was like, you know, 16 years old or whatever. Um, so yeah, the free part was huge, but, but I also think that, um, it's been a really big relief the last few years. Cause for the longest time, I thought for sure I was shooting myself in the foot of like, you know, you're not really going to get in a lot of studio jobs five, 10 years ago, unless you're like really well-versed in cinema 40 pipelines which, you know, once you go through a, a, a 3D uh, app and like really, you know, I mean, really a lot of it switching is, is there are workflow things, but I think a lot of it is like keyboard shortcuts. So if you know the fundamentals, it starts to become applicable elsewhere. But, um, but yeah, having used Blender for so long, I will say now's the best time to learn Blender. It was an absolute shit program for the longest time. Like I'm, I'm not afraid to say <laughs> that. I think it still has like so many limitations. I think it's not the strongest for simulation work. But sculpt tools are like insane. You have a real-time engine. Uh, the modeling tools are excellent. There's, you know, it's, everything's been talked about here, but like the community support, literally like you have a, a breaking bug that you can replicate. You can post it on their dev forum. And usually within 24 hours, you'll get like a patched fix. So, I mean, there's just, in terms of everything we've just talked about for the last 30 minutes and most of the frustrations that it seems like we all have, I've always felt, and especially now recently, you know, the the Blender Dev Fund has gotten NVIDIA involved and, and um, you know, just Intel is, is now a part of the Dev Fund. I want to say like random brands have started getting involved. I don't know if it's like Nike, but like there, there are people, you know, their, their development fund has gotten so much bigger. They now finally have a larger staff. I think everyone's starting to see the development pace really sort of get locked down. And like, it's very, the, you can expect a cadence from them. The long-term support stuff is huge. So yeah. Uh, and actually Ryan just threw in the chat. Uh, the last release of Blender comes with like a bunch of free, uh, an uh, you know, anatomy assets. So like, mm. uh, hand with bones and muscle groups, like same with face, um, you know, fully, fully rigged character. So there's just so many reasons. I think that even if you are comfortable in another program, you know, there's just still so much value in like digging into blender, I think a little bit and seeing if there's like a small piece that, you know, instead of going and buying a bunch of assets, uh, you know, anatomy assets, cause you need to start doing some character rigging or something like the fact that that, you know, even, uh, gets shipped with Blender. I mean, that's crazy. So I think it's well worth doing the dive, even if you end up outputting it to another, you know, output it to cinema via FBX or whatever, if you want to render it in Octane, if you don't really feel like, you know, you don't have to, to learn. And that's kind of what I'm learning too, leaving Blender a little bit, like picking up Houdini. Now I'm like, okay, there are things that I can do in that program that just makes more sense for my workflow. And I think it, it can be like very much, uh, you're either team A or team B. 
which is frustrating uh, because I think that's kind of short-sighted and you know, the end of the day, it's like all these are tools. I think all of us, as much as we just griped about all these tools, it's like, you're going to use them. It's part of the job, you know? So figure out what you like and figure out, um, you know, what, what all these tools can do for you. And I think that's a much better approach than being like, I am a blender artist or I am a cinema 4d artist. Like that's, I just don't think that's going to, um, really get anyone where they want to be. Totally. Totally. Uh, will pop on in. Yeah. And kind of building on that, I was using cinema for I think three years, uh, two or three years until, uh, went freelance and I was working at a studio up in San Francisco and then, uh, and they were, you know, floating the bill for the cinema. And I started back before they had the, um, the subscription model. So you're like, it was like, you know, fighting with them and like, okay, well, like we need this for this project. So we'll spend 1500 bucks for six months or something yeah. uh, for this program. And then uh, finally went freelance and was like, you know what? I don't want to pay 1200 bucks or whatever for this. I'm going to like as a test. And because I was only doing maybe 40% of 3d for client work at the time, I was like, I'll just see if I can do this for like six months to a year with blender. Like, let's just see if I can um, kind of port everything over and worked surprisingly well, like kind of like Andrew said, there's a lot of, I mean, every program has their, their kind of like dedicated tools that they focus on. Like uh, C40 obviously has their MoGraph tools um, that are really good. And, Mm -hmm. and a few other things that make life really easy that are tough to do in other programs. But um, in terms of, just, you know, again, it being free and, and working with a lot of other programs like Unreal, just having like a Unreal to or a Blender to Houdini pipeline or a Blender to Unreal pipeline, it just worked, worked super well. Um, and that's, that's what I use today, even with After Effects, just um, After Effects and Blender. It's been a nice, hmm. a nice pipeline and way to go. Nice. Yeah, that, that's interesting to hear, like, your experience of porting stuff over and it, it worked well. Uh-huh. Mo, uh, pop on in. Uh, I guess I'll be the last one. Cause I guess we're over at time. Yeah, it's all but right. You're good. I, I, I just want to throw a word of caution to, you know, I know this goes into the podcast and people are going to be listening to this. And there are a lot of people that are just starting. There's just a word of caution for anyone that's listening that this is a lot like the discussion back in the day when people were painting with Photoshop and the the question was always, Oh, what brush did you use? And Mm -hmm. the thing is, (laughs) the thing is there are many different tools. There are many different ways to get excellent results with not the same level of render engine or the same program, cinema 4d or blender. I think the point I'm trying to make is just try to figure out what you're trying to get, like what your output, the desired output is, and then try to find the best tools that will get you that result based on what you can afford or based on what you're going for. Because there's, I mean, I'm trying not to get into this hole, but right now Unreal Engine is just all over and everyone's talking about Unreal Engine. And so every time this happens, I think, well, shit, now do I need to learn Unreal Engine 5 or or 8 or whatever? Because there's always going to be a new tool. So I guess I'm just trying to, I'm just, I'm just trying to say, just be mindful of 
these types of discussions because you're always there's always going to be a render engine that people like over another one and yeah. there's not just one tool i think it just depends on what you're going for and what you have the mental capacity or the mental brain space to to go for to learn yeah that's, that's a great point i thanks for making that point and that's so true and if anything we're somewhat spoiled right look at all these options we have like there's you know a graphic designer might have like procreate photoshop illustrator <laughs> right and we're talking about all these different programs different renderers different whatever so like it's yeah it, i think it's important to keep that perspective that we've got a lot of tools that can generate similar assets and sometimes you just need to use whatever is it you know attainable for you if the price is right for you or you know whatever you feel comfortable in and especially nowadays where there's more and more um translation between all these dccs like these kind of universal um image formats in a way or you know 3d formats and i i posted a a, a link to it but this past week i think it was like pixar and adobe and apple everyone kind of agreed to start using like the usd uh or like usd so universal scene description of like um to kind of start standardizing things. And I know we've been talking about USD for a long time as well, but I think this is a pretty significant move having these like large companies and even NVIDIA's in on it. Um, if, you know, five years from now, we can start slowly unraveling and getting away from OBJs or FBXs and everything is just straight up USD that will include your models, include your cameras, your lights, your materials, all that stuff. You know, I think once we get there and that's still probably pretty far off in the distance, but it's really not going to depend on what software you use. As long as you can save in that format, then you'll, you'll be good. And, you know, without calling names or whatnot. And I don't know, Ryan, I don't know if you would have a moment just to pop in, but as someone who is kind of running a staff at a shop, like how, I guess maybe what's the pipeline that you guys work with? And do you, do you work with freelancers and artists that are in all sorts of packages, as long as they can deliver back X file? Yeah, it all it all depends on what the the final deliverable is. If it's a toolkit, if if it includes something that's a toolkit that has to go to a client or they need to be able to adjust it, then we obviously have to like you know stick with that. But I mean, I, I would say the biggest thing is that we're always trying to stay curious because there's so much stuff out there, right? Like I think we're starting to see a bigger push, maybe because Spider Verse and all the other movies, like people are not always desperate for photorealism, which means mm -hmm. that there's a lot of other options for tools to be using. You know, like. I sing about grease pencil all the time and that's getting a complete mm -hmm. overhaul. Um, I, but I also think there's business opportunities in it too, that I'm trying to teach the team is that if there's any chance to upsell anything into like an interactive deliverable, you know, mm -hmm. knowing, knowing unreal, knowing real time, if anybody ever wants us to say like, Oh, we did this. That's really cool. But can we also go and shoot on a volume with a real time background? Well, are we going to have to go and hire a company to take our assets and change it? Or if there's an opportunity at the very beginning of a project and you can see it, we should know that. And so far we've been kind of, um, 
beholden to what the team knows, but we're, we're, we're seeing opportunities. This very morning, we had a very good returning client um, that uh, we were trying to get them to let us do some work on a volume. And we just found out that they worked with a huge previous company that has an entire department that does real time. Right. And we couldn't figure out why for three months, one of our best clients was like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we'll talk about it in a while. We'll talk to you in a while because we we know about it. We're interested in it, but we don't have the body of work to demonstrate, you know, that we have the unreal knowledge. Mm. So I think there's going to be a strong conversation probably later today about what do we do? Do we find a client that's going to let us learn and pay or do we need to invest in the time ourselves? Do we need to bring in a freelancer for a couple of weeks and train us? You know, like. Right. There's that. But I think that that's going, it's, that used to be like one thing at a time. Now it's like 18 different directions all at once in terms of like, what business opportunities are I missing? What's coming down the pike? Um, I know when I'm teaching, no one is using Cinema 4D. There's not a single kid coming into college. They have, I think I mentioned, but like, there's like a Roblox to Minecraft to Blender pipeline that none of us mm. see unless you have kids that when you're in school and there's 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds, they're like Cinema 4D, that's a toy. Professionals use, use Blender. And all of us are like, minds are blown. We're like, what are you talking about? And they're like, their world is watching YouTube videos and getting on Twitch and looking at Discord servers and everybody they know, their favorite people, their Andrew Kramers and Grayscale Gorillas are all people using Blender. Like there's not, yeah. not, not, there's not an exception anywhere, right? So if you really want to feel old, you're like, hear that from 50 kids <laughs> in a classroom. Um, but yeah, I, I think like there's, you know, like we've all been waiting for an After Effects killer or a replacement or something. And right five different programs come and go. So I don't I think there's certain things that like, for the most part, as long as I can get something in After Effects and finish it, if it's just a render, that's always going to be the place where we live. But that might yeah. even change. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate that. Thomas, uh, why don't you pop in and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up for this week. Yeah, I think for a lot of clients, it's going to be like their first time, like really it's like saying they want it and then paying for it and seeing what the result is, you know? Um, I've been right now, I've been on the end of like cleaning up the, mis the, the awkward like situations where it's like, oh, it's not really a finalized product yet where we can get you from A to B the entire way in Unreal. So I'm like doing the patchwork right now. Mm. Um, you know, I think it totally has the capability in the future to maybe totally bypass that. Um, and I see that a lot, but I think it's really going to come down to clients, like how much did it cost? What was the end result? How much of a pain in the ass was it? Is it going to get better? Were the things that we gained by doing it this way, you know, cost effective or worth it? Um, like, do they want to be able to change a shot the day before things go out? Then, yeah, they'll probably be willing to spend for it. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Well, and, you know, it's funny because I actually was contacted by a longtime client, too that uh, they're they're going to shoot in a volumetric stage. And it, it's like, whoa. And so they hit me up of like, hey, we want to create these environments and stuff. They have no idea what they're doing. But just like us and like new software comes out, the, my DP friends, it's like new camera comes out. Oh, I need to get that new red brain. Oh, this new volumetric uh, stage just opened down the street. Okay, we got to figure out a campaign to shoot there because I want to do that. So it, I think, you know, even even those type of like production people have that same kind of shiny object feeling where it's like, oh, new technology. I want to use it. I have no idea. I have, I don't understand it, but people are using it. So we should, you know, and so. I actually kind of had a, a good conversation with them of like, what are you trying to accomplish with it? Because like, 
you could easily just shoot that on a green screen and do the same exact thing that you want to do. Like, Mm -hmm. and you don't have to fly to LA. You don't have to hire all these people to like do it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I I just thought they were really trying to like shoehorn the thing because it's like the new, the new thing to do in live production is to shoot on these volumetric walls and let's change it from day to night. Yay. You know, can I, can I add a counter to that though, Mark? Yes, is please. That like, I, I really feel like the, one of the biggest things we hear, all of us, whether it's studios or individuals or freelancers trying to like, you know, present as a studio is that like, we're always stuck in the the perception that our clients have of us. And when they have an opportunity, we're like, we don't know how to do this. And um, you're an artist, maybe, you know, I feel like there's also a really good opportunity to like, it's one of the few times that you get to level up your positioning mm-hmm. or your perception from current studios to be able to be like, yeah, of course we know that. Or you know what? We're just as excited about you. Let's partner rather than just be a service provider or just like a, yeah. here, render this stuff for me. So I feel like we're, there's like three or four different things right now, whether it's real time or volumetric stages or AR or Reeve or, or interactive stuff for web. There's something in what you do day to day right now that a client's wondering what's the next step. And if you can get ahead of that by just mm-hmm. being like a little curious and find some time. And again, like be one or two steps ahead of them so you can at least speak intelligently yeah. on it. There's an opportunity for you to get them to pay you to figure out how to really do it, as well as change your perception, which is so rare, right? We always say like, the only way you ever really get to raise your rates is to leave someone and come back. And this is like one of those Mm. like moments in time where there's a couple different vectors that you could be changing how people think of you. Totally. No, that's a great, that's a great point. And that actually ties well, like back into what we were talking about earlier with the Patreons and like the kind of side uh, passive income type stuff. Like it's not necessarily passive income, but there, I think there's a lot of room for us as artists to yes, be exposed to this new technology. And then also just almost be a consultant, right? Like allow, like be their go-to person, even if maybe they don't hire you to produce the job, whatever, but maybe you're their liaison between the studio that's talking about Unreal and them who have no idea what they're talking about. So I think that's another interesting way of using our skills in kind of a different way, but could still be of service and, you know, generate income. Um, Augustine, go ahead. I want to just, I just want to quickly reply on your Unreal thing, because I've, I've directed a lot like real life shoots you know for commercials like documentaries and other stuff and it's true that like the unreal part like you know the worst thing that can happen is like you haven't shot enough material or even planned well your shot list and then you can't you cannot go back so you have to make it work mm-hmm. with what you have and sometimes you really make magic happens in the edit which always happened but then like people, what people don't know is when you shoot in a volume, it's like there's the whole comping process that comes afterwards. You know, it's not just you shoot through like against the screen and then it's good to go. You know, right? No, so like a lot of stuff needs to be painted over or like replaced and tracked and shit. But and so that's like people don't know that. And when they see the Mandalorian, like I think the press also played a bad role there, saying like. Oh, they shot everything with the screens and it looks so good. But in fact, what you don't know is like 99.99 of the shots after being shot against the screen were recomped and like changed completely. Um, mm-hmm. So you don't get that level of result, you know. Mm-hmm. But the part where I'm excited about Unreal, and that's the part I, I'm exploring, is not shooting in a, against the volume. It's doing like motion capture with suits now from Rococo. 
and and tracking the face, you know, because that allows you to now create entire new universes um, without having to have. You need a crew to shoot, of course, like the actions and the acting. Of course, you need that. But after you 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 pass that segment, you know, mm-hmm. you can DOP that shit as much as you as you want. You know, you can play with the camera, move around, change the lighting, night, day. That right. for me, that's the part where it really shines because now it's it's too early now, but there's gonna be an emergence of like films or like short films or like series done in real. You know, there's mm-hmm. going to be acting done in studios with just like motion capture suits, but then the rest. And then you want the guy being be a military, be a, a nurse. You can change all that with a snap yeah. of a finger, like not a snap of a finger because it takes work. Once you you're past like the whole segment of like the models you want to do, building the world around and everything, like the the level of interactivity and exploration you get to and to and to tweak your heart's content like the end result is mm-hmm. amazing that's for me it's where a real like shines you know it's not no. it's not the whole beginning of the process that's very cumbersome the, the workflow is kind of shitty right now but once you get past that once you get to the part where you where the fun happens then it's incredible it's like insane how fast you know like it blends it it, it blows your mind once you get to that point, like I've been doing that stuff lately and you go like, holy cow. And I'm here in my studio, like tweaking the IPR and then all this. Thing. When it's there, it's like, I want to add a light. Oh, this tree to the left. And, it, and all that is real time. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, let me move that actor over there. You know, like, and it adapts the, the, the path of the walk you did. With the terrain and everything, you were like, "Holy cow, dude! What am what am I doing here? Losing my time." Yeah, well, and what I'm starting to notice too is what I've seen just coming through a lot of the Unreal stuff is a lot of like uh, liquids and you know stuff that would normally take a long time to render. Um, you know, just having elements like that now too for from like a 3D standpoint that seem to just be, you know, real time, right? So like gone are the days of like really trying to figure out this mesh and clean up the thing and yada, yada. But yeah, I I mean, it's come a long way. I think it still has ways to go, right? But I mean, it's, as we all know, it's coming up quick. Um, But yeah, um, it's exciting just to be paying attention to this stuff. And I think that's what we really... I don't know, need to do in our industry and just stay privy to new technologies and stuff. And if we can do that, I hope that we can keep a leg up on a lot of like clients and and that type of work. So we shall see. There is one video. I can't remember who made it, but I want to say it came out like a year ago. It was an unreal um film that it it was kind of like military i forget what it was but it was like absolutely fantastic it was like one of the better kind of like cinematic animations i've seen in a long time and then it was like unreal 5 or whatever it might have been like a launch video i'll try to figure out what that is and, and add it to the show notes but um that was like the first time i saw it and i was like oh dang like 
yeah, that looks legit in terms of like um love death and robots. I forget. But um anyway, Sam, pop on in real quick and then we'll we'll wrap this up. Yeah, that I don't know if it was the same one you were thinking about, but there was that train station video that was absolutely insane, uh, out of Unreal about that time. I'll see if I can find it as well. But they they were coming down like a train station like staircase and then looked out at the tracks and looked up at the sun and like the lighting was just it was unreal. Um I'll I'll see if I can find it. I'm just doing a quick search here too to see if I can. But I mean, yeah, just pretty, pretty awesome to see what's happening there. And I know, you know, it's going to, we're going to get more exposure to this type of stuff for sure. But I think there's still some of the workflow things that we're accustomed to that are still kind of getting ironed out in terms of bringing like certain assets into Unreal and all that. And like when you actually, you save time on the rendering, but the whole import could take hours or, or whatnot. So um, I think there's still some probably math to be done to see where it actually does, you know, speed up your workflow. Um, but anyway, we'll end it up for today. Uh, this was a fantastic open discussion. Um, thanks for everyone, uh, for participating and next week we are going to do another special episode. We're going to bump it back an hour again to 11 AM Eastern. Uh, but we have, uh, this girl I know from back in my Tahoe days, her name's Tanya Schultz, and she is actually a finance person. So she's going to come in and talk about kind of freelance finance and personal finance and things like that. Uh, which honestly, we've never really talked about much here on Monday meeting. So I think that should be a really interesting one. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of like great nuggets to pull out of that for either your business or your freelance or even just your personal finance. So definitely tune in for that. And we're looking forward to having Tanya on. Um, but thanks again for joining this week's call. You can find us on all the social media platforms for searching Monday meeting. And then the audio calls are posted each week on, we post it via Spotify, but it should get, uh, hit all the different podcast platforms. Um, but thanks again, as always for being part of this community and coming to these meetings. Uh, I hope it brings you value. And if you're listening to this, uh, hope it brings you value as well and feel free to share it around to any other friends. Um, but until next week, have a great week and kick some butt. See you then. Bye.